And I have not done that before. You know, you're listening to somebody and and you're kind of you're kind of hearing them kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know. It's like, wah, 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 yeah, yeah. and you're just waiting for an opportunity to refute what they're saying. And you're not really listening. You're you're not listening in order to understand or to love. Welcome to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. I'm Tim Mielhoff, professor of communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California. And my name is Rick Langer, and I'm a professor at Biola as well in the Biblical Studies and Theology Department, and I'm also the director of the Office of Faith and Learning. Well, it's a privilege for us to have uh, Preston Sprinkle with us. He's uh, been a professor, he's an author, he's a speaker, uh, and he has spent a lot of his life dealing with issues around uh, faith, gender, and sexuality. And so it's a privilege for us to have him with us, and uh, we'd love to just ask you a few questions, Preston. Um, one of those things, I'd love to hear just a little bit of your background how did you get into spending so much of your life and energy addressing this issue? Um, I, I kind of fell into the conversation about gender and sexuality accidentally. Um, several years ago, some mentors in my life <laughs> looked at me and said, hey, you, you, you seem to like controversy. <laughs> um, well, why don't you write a book on uh, what the Bible says about homosexuality? And you know, I was so naive. I just thought it was a, a, a bunch of verses that just said it's sin, period, move on, you know. Um, and so I thought it would be an easy topic to engage. But then I realized that not only are there, um, you know, a, a, there's a good deal of, of, of complexity when it comes to the theological conversation about sexuality and gender, but there's also a, a profound relational complexity when it comes to gay, lesbian, transgender, or bisexual individuals. And it was those stories, you know, listening to people who are LGBT that um, kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, it, it didn't change my theology, but it did change how I think theologically, how I talk theologically, mm. how I do theology. I don't think experiences or people's stories should dictate what you believe, but it should augment or shape um, how you believe, how you approach certain topics, you know? And, and um, yeah, in short, I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I believe in a traditional view of marriage and, and, and uh, I think, I don't think God desires people to um, enter into a same-sex sexual relationship. I don't think that's God's design. And yet there's a, a lot of people, I mean a lot, like millions of people who identify as LGBTQ, who were raised in a church, who had mm. profoundly like horrible experiences in the church, not just because they might have disagreed with the theology, but because they were mistreated, they, they were dehumanized, they were... Um, in some cases, mocked and and made fun of and uh, abused, and I mean, there's just there's so much, if I can say, spiritual trauma that that often surrounds somebody's experience uh, growing up in the church as an LGBTQ individual. So, so my last, you know, my last five years uh, journeying into this conversation has been trying to navigate, you know, the truth of what Scripture says with the very um, sometimes horrific reality of how LGBT people have been treated by the church. Mm. So it's been an, it's been an interesting adventure. <laughs> and that's what we're particularly interested in, Preston. You, you do a great job with the theology of a defense of traditional marriage. And let me recommend your book, People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. Um, but we're interested in the Winsome Conviction Project yeah. of coming at 
uh, how do we engage people in a way that is both truthful but also loving? I love this one quote. I read an interview of yours where you said, debates about sexuality and gender are not just about issues. They're about people, beautiful people. Mm-hmm. These debates, they're about my friends. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be able to pull that off, uh, Rick and yeah. I are very curious about that, to, to both have a traditional view of marriage, which in today's culture war, today's yeah. argument culture, that's just enough to stop people dead in their right. tracks. But to have those friendships, to, to do both truth and love is what we're really interested in. And you mentioned um, two things. One is that the church has been correct in its theology, mm-hmm. but then you make an interesting point that the church has been wrong and its approach to loving people. Yeah. So how how do you think the church is missing doing well on one part, but missing the second part of how we treat people that we disagree with? That's a great question. I, I don't I don't know if I can uh, completely answer it. Um, from my vantage point, I think the church absorbs a lot of political approaches to this conversation. Everything's about outrage and polarization and us versus them and you're the enemy, you're evil, you're wrong, you know, which, from whichever political camp you're coming from. And when Christians absorb that kind of political tribalism, then of course the, you know, the LGBT community is going to stand in the tribe of their enemy. You know, they're going to be liberal or Democrat or whatever, even though that's just a, a gross simplification of the conversation. But so, so I, think, I think Christians can often absorb the posture of the political tribe that they uh, give allegiance to. And I think that, that can contribute to the problem. I, I think there's a lot of ignorance um, in the Christian community about the relational experience of somebody who is LGBTQ. Um, I think there's a lot of fear that LGBTQ people are anti-Christian, are anti-this, anti-that, anti-family, anti-truth, anti-religious freedom, anti-anti, you know, just on and on it goes. But when you actually meet and hang out with and listen to and learn from <laughs> actual LGBT people, you will realize that there's a massive diversity um, in the LGBT community and some e- even some of the vitriol the the very if i can say anti-christian anti-evangelical um sediment among some lgbt people if you start asking questions about why do they they those you know this certain kind of lgbt person why do they respond so aggressively against the church you might find some traumatic experience that they've had within the church. 83% of LGBT people were raised in the church. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big number. That's a big number. It's very rare that an LGBT person was not raised in the Christian church. Okay. Just just factually, statistically, 51% left the church after 18, but only 3% of the ones who left said, said that they left as a result of some kind of disagreement with the church's theology of marriage and sexuality, which means, if you can follow the numbers, <laughs> 97% of LGBT people who left the church left for relational reasons. They got tired of the hypocrisy in the church. You know, we're lenient on sex outside of marriage, on divorce, on pornography. Not, you know, Of course we see, no, you shouldn't do that, but we accept people who fail in those areas. But when it comes to same-sex sexuality... 
we take a very black and white stance. No accommodation, no grace, no forgiveness. Um, and, and, or even like, um, you know, a lot of LGBT people were just sometimes unintentionally dehumanized. You know, they hear sermons that are just like, oh, man, like it's just, you know, uh, unintentionally dehumanizing. Or they were intentionally ostracized and mocked and made fun of. And so, I mean, just, there's just there's piles and piles of stories of LGBT people who were just went through spiritually traumatic experiences in the church that didn't have to do just with, you know, reading Leviticus and saying, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with this verse, you know, it's, it's so much more complex than that. It's, 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 it's LGBT people for the most part, not experiencing, as Paul says, the kindness of God that leads to repentance. They didn't experience kindness and grace and forgiveness with Christians. So let me pick up on that thought. You know, we talk about the Winsome Conviction Project. One of the things I think Tim and I have both noticed is that one of the ways we run afoul of this is is when we hit contentious issues, we either decide we're going to maintain our conviction and we lose our winsomeness, or yeah. we decide we will become winsome at the expense of our convictions. And it seems to me you have done a masterful job of avoiding falling into either of those mm-hmm. two pits. Imagine a person from a church came to you and said, Preston, I've got some convictions about this issue, but I realize I really have failed in the communication mm. of those. What advice would you give them? What would you tell them to, to do or what insights could you offer? Because I really do think you've done a wonderful job of this, and I appreciate the model that you've given. Well, I, I, I really, I mean, appreciate that. That's a huge compliment, and, and I'd be the first one to say that I haven't always succeeded. I, I, I'm striving for that, so I appreciate that. Um, I get this a lot from parents with LGBT kids. Oh who they'll come to maybe a talk I'm giving and they realize, oh my gosh, I've, I've failed and how I've navigated my, you know, relationship with my gay son, trans daughter, whatever. Um, and my, f- my first response is, you know what, it's, this is all part of the journey and there's always forgiveness and, and learning and, and, and hope for the future. So, um, uh, you know, f- for the Christian that is, maybe hasn't gone about this conversation well, that is wanting to, to do better, you know, God, God's a God of forgiveness and grace. And, I, I, you know, I would say the majority of what I would consider unhelpful or negative Christian responses to the LGBT conversation, the majority of those responses are, I would say, unintentional, it comes out of ignorance. You know, uh, I, I don't think I think most genuine Christians are well-intentioned. They're, they're wanting to love the scriptures and love people, you know, and sometimes they don't always go about that well. And um, so I, th- I think um, especially when it comes to like parents of LGBT kids, I, you know, I, my first response is, you know, don't be afraid to forgive yourself. You know, like yeah. unless you're a horrible, evil person, like you probably were trying to. To do the right thing, and 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 if you're a parent, say you know when your kid comes out as gay, and you have no, you, you've never been taught, educated in this conversation, you've never been coached in you know what language to use or whatever, and if you respond, you know wrongly or, or just unhelpfully, I mean, I, part of that's not really your fault. It's like it's just the Christian culture that we've been nurtured in, um, and I've seen just amazing stories of reconciliation between a a Christian parent and their gay or lesbian or trans kid after 20 years of tension and animosity where the parent comes to their 
kid and says, you know, I'm so sorry for how I've responded. I love you and, and care for you. I just, I want what's best for you. And, and obviously, you know, I have these convictions about what God says about this topic and I hold to those and I, I'm trying to navigate what that looks like and how to love you. And, and just when, when LGBT people um, see a Christian trying to just love better and understand better, oftentimes that, that really goes a long way. You know, e- e- even if at the end of the day, there's a theological disagreement about whether same-sex relationships are um, endorsed by God or not. So um, let me ask, so I, I love what you're saying, Preston, but here's what we get a counter to what we're trying to do. We wrote a book called Winsome Persuasion, and uh, one person uh, reviewed it and said, listen, we are way past Winsome Persuasion. You'd have to be pretty ignorant of the culture war today that Christians are losing so much ground today that we don't need Winsome Persuasion. We need to take a stand, Uh and if that means speaking truth in a way that that some people are going to be hurt by it, We need to speak as firm as our opposition is speaking. Yeah. And so the time for this winsome approach, man, the ship has sailed. <laughs> I, I had my students read this. Christianity Today did this uh, about 10 years ago. They had two theologians, and they disagreed with each other on whether they should use culture war language. And one theologian said, I think it's really hurting the church to do that. The other one said, dude, we're in a war. You're ignoring we're in a war. And yeah, I use culture war language because that accurately reflects. So I think some people would listen to you and say, okay, maybe within a family we can do this, forgive each other and be patient and kind and perspective taking. But when the church needs to step up and finally have the courage to say enough is enough with this gender dysphoria and we just need to proclaim what is true, what's your reaction to that? I get that sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Part of me gets that. But what would be your response to that? Well, first of all, you know, I I resonate with the passion behind that concern. I really do. And for, for me, it's not whether we should stand by our convictions. It's how we should embrace and promote those convictions. To me, it's, you know, whether we should have convictions, you know, I, I you know, it, it's funny because when, when people who are very progressive hear me talk, they label me as a radical fundamentalist conservative. <laughs> <laughs> and then when some fundamentalists hear me talk, they think I'm like wishy-washy. It's, just, it's all a matter of perspective, you know, like I, I guess for my audience, let me clarify, like I, I am a diehard Bible guy. My greatest addiction in life is to sit in a closet and study the Bible for 14 hours a day. That's my candy. That's my guilty pleasure. Because if God, the God who breathed stars into existence, also breathed out his word, then we have a, a mandate, a logical, moral mandate to follow every single jot and tittle of scripture. It's why I learned uh, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, and other languages, because I care so deeply about um, the word of God. So the, the, yeah. when I say that, people are like, oh, you're a raging fundy. I'm like, whatever, whatever label you want to use, I don't, I'm going to go where the text leads. And yet how to embody those convictions and live out those convictions in a secular society takes a little more thoughtfulness and nuance. And, and you know, I, I, take the, I take the cultural or political position, if I can say it like that, um, you know, the, the, the way I view my place in society is that I'm an exile living in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so h- how do I take my ec- 
exilic, you know, my, 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 my Judeo-Christian faith as a citizen of another kingdom, of another world, of another way of living, how do I navigate my faith, embody my faith in Babylon, in, in, in a secular society? And, and I, I just fear that some people that do engage in so-called culture wars forget that they are not... Um, that they're not exiles in Babylon. They have sort of really, dr- you know, drunken the punch of one Babylonian <laughs> party or whatever, you know, like, but, but no, like I, I, you know, Paul says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's a simple statement. It's a basic statement, yeah. but it's profoundly challenging. Like if I actually want people to repent, which I do, I'm an exile living in Babylon. I want every single Babylonian to repent. Um, then I then that means if Romans 2:4 is true, which I believe it is, then that means I should embody the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And and also like there's there's such a history of Christians being obnoxious, if I can say it, <laughs> unnecessarily offensive and combative with how they view their values. Um, and I think that's turned a lot of people off. Um, and so I, I think we have to take that into consideration as we as we want other people in Babylon to, to consider and, and possibly even appreciate or even embrace Christian slash exile values, then I think we need to go about it in a posture of kindness. Well, it seems we're also called to seek the welfare of the city right. the, in the Babylonian sure, yeah, analogy. Yeah. And you do wonder sometimes, how are we doing it actually seeking the welfare of the city? Or do we want the city simply to adjust to our terms? Or do we resent the fact that the city used to look more like us, mm-hmm. and now it looks different? And right. we have a hard time living in the kind of exilic city we actually find mm, ourselves in. That's good, yeah. yeah. yeah I had a, a friend come to me uh, who is a foster parent, and uh, their foster child was now transitioning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll never forget her sitting in my office with tears in her eyes saying, nobody wants my child in church. No one. We had to leave the one church because the youth pastor absolutely refused to use the pronoun that this transitioning child preferred, he, he saw that as condoning. Mm-hmm. So then she said, so we tried to go to another church and met with the senior pastor, and, and he just said, yeah, you know, we're not really equipped for this. And so I'd find a different church. So she came to me and said, do you know of a church? And it was really hard to think of one that had any kind of a structure that would make a person feel um, welcomed. So when you say kindness, yeah. can we put some feet on that? To say, okay, so a pastor is listening to our podcast and says, okay, Preston, I'm in. I, I want to consider this. What would be some concrete things mm-hmm. a church can do to show a welcoming, kind attitude to the LGBTQ community, let's say? Oh, man. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> I, I, um, one of the things that I, the, the fir- kind of first step in embodying the kindness of God is, is becoming a good listener mm-hmm. and, and not listening in order to refute. And I'd, I've, I've done that before. You know, you're listening to somebody and, and you're, kind of, you're kind of hearing them kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, it's like, wah, 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 like yeah, yeah. and you're just waiting for an opportunity to refute what they're saying. 
you're not really listening. You're, you're not listening in order to understand or to love. And I think if, if, if a Christian can truly stare into somebody's soul and listen with a genuine desire to understand where they're coming from, that, that can be a profoundly humanizing thing. And it, and it doesn't mean that the person you're listening to, that, that whatever they're saying, that you agree with. It just means that you care enough about the person to understand their experience, their story, their their wrestling, you know, whatever. So, so like with this trans kid that you're, you know, referring to, it's like instead of saying that's right or that's wrong, or it's like, what's going on in somebody's life where they would take profound measures, uh, painful measures, lifelong, irreversible bodily measures to align their body to their perceived sense of who they are. Um, what, what have they, what's been their sort of emotional psychological journey through that? Are there any other sort of co-occurring things like depression, anxiety, perhaps even suicidality? You know, it's like the, you know, this person desires to transition. That, that's, a, that's the tip of the iceberg. There, there's so much lying beneath the surface that as somebody who is called to love my neighbor, even love my enemy, if you want, like I, my passion should be, should be to get to know what that, the, the, you know, the lower, you know, the, the, the iceberg lying beneath the surface, the, 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 the comp- complex, the possibly complex journey that has led to this really difficult decision rather than just giving a black and white yes, no don't come to my church. We don't do, you know, that, that's just, that, that's not a, an expression of loving your neighbor. It, you know, it's interesting. You talked earlier about the importance of overcoming ignorance, just in the honest sense we often really don't know. And it's easy to think about that. Of, I don't know that much about uh, gay or lesbian lifestyle. I don't know about transgender uh, identity. The other point that it seemed to be making here is that part of it is just, I don't know the person. You know, tell me your story. It'd be interesting if a, a, a you know son or daughter who was you know coming out to their parents, if the response was just you know, honey, tell me your story. Right. I, I bet this has been hard. Tell me your story and just shutting down the other responses and just say, let me adopt a posture of of listening to hear. Yeah, um, could go a long way to you know opening the door to whatever else might uh, need to follow. To listen is to love. Like it's hard to love somebody without genuinely listening. And if you, if, you know, those of you who are listening who are married, can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine sitting, like, not being a good listener to your spouse? <laughs> it's taken me a few years to get this, you know? Like I, and I've done this with my wife, you know? It's like, you know, I'm just, I have this real black and white logical view of stuff, and this is accurate, this is not. And, and it's taken me a few years to learn, like, it, half the time just listening well, ge- genuinely listening and trying to put myself in her shoes just is foundational for a genuine relationship. And anybody who's married knows that if you're still married. Yeah. That's, that's a great example. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We, and, we but, so often try to fix somebody else's yeah, problem so quick. They aren't, totally. And they really just aren't there for that. Half the time, my wife, when we were working through something, half the time just listening well is the fix. You know, thank you so much for listening. I feel so much better. I'm like... Well, so what are we going to do about this or whatever? And it's like, oh, no, I'm good. You know, it's like I just, I just needed somebody to hear me. I just needed somebody to hear and care, care for what I'm saying. And I, I don't want to oversimplify things. I mean, I, that's not just 
just listening isn't going to fix every single situation. But when it comes to the LGBT conversation, people who have had an LGBTQ journey, um, for some reason, I think a lot of Christians are scared to just listen, just listen with the sole goal of understanding and loving that person. And, And maybe down the road, you know, we need to get into Leviticus and Romans or whatever. Maybe there's a place for a theological conversation down the road, but um, many, if not most, LGBT people who are raised in a church have not experienced what it is to have a Christian, a straight Christian, simply listen to their story, and that's that's well, sad. That's a great great point. Oh, you're speaking my language. I'm a professor <laughs> of communication here at Biola, yeah. so the listening thing is so well said, so hard to pull off. So let me. Uh, change the topic a little bit here. You talked about going through an experience both beginning to think about some of the LGBTQ issues and then also having a lot of kind of discovery conversations with people that you knew or met. Um, My bet is a lot of our listeners may not have had those kinds of conversations. So if you wanted to just say, hey, two or three things I wish the evangelical church would understand about uh, the LGBTQ community, what would some of those things be? Number one, to reiterate what I said earlier, most LGBT people were raised in the church. They have a church as part of their journey, and typically it's a very negative view of church. That'd be number one. Just understand when you go into the conversation, it's not a blank slate. It's not a neutral. Typically, they, they have a perception of what it means to be a Christian that's, that's not, it's not Jesus-like. <laughs> um. So just know that going in. It's, it's like any, it's like, you know, uh, this is going to be an extreme example, but if you're a missionary and you travel to a foreign country, and if that foreign country um, had a history of being slaughtered by Christians, let, let's just say a Muslim country who, uh, you know, uh, a few years after the Crusades, where the you know Christians came and killed people that weren't Christians, whatever, like that, that would shape their view of Christianity. And as a missionary... It would be essential, like like missiology 101, like understand their preconceived view of Christians before you come in because your presentation of the gospel might need to um, uh, at least consider, uh, you know, the, the background there. So that'd be number one. Understand the, 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 the animosity between the church and the LGBT community. Number two, have a posture of humility. Um, most LGBT people I know um, they're scared of Christians. I, I just talked to a, a pastor friend of mine who owns a coffee shop in, in Long Beach, uh, which has a big um, LGBT community. And he said, you know, he's got a tattoo of a cross on his arm, owns a coffee shop, loads of LGBT people come in. And he says when they see the cross on his arm, he sees them visibly get scared. Mm-hmm. Then they talk and they find out he's a Christian and they get frightened. Like they literally think that he might like yell at them or maybe even hit them. Like that's their perception of Christians. <laughs> so um, coming at that, coming coming into a conversation with an LGBT person with a deep posture of humility, the fear is I'm going to sacrifice my convictions. I'm, I'm going to condone or whatever. I just, I, I in, in most cases, I, I just don't think that's good. I don't think if you're kind to an LGBT person, they're going to just assume that you have no convictions. They, they might be just blown away that, you have these convictions, but you're also kind to them, you know. Um, 
And just, I guess what I said earlier, just be be a good listener, like truly, truly, truly. And th- this is just, you know, <laughs> this isn't just L- LGBT specific, but just human specific. I mean, just learn how to be a good listener. Listening with the sole goal of understanding. It's something that I've tried to learn as a parent with four kids. Listen to my kids, not to refute, correct, or teach, but just to understand. Um my neighbor, my whatever, you know, uh, my Republican friends, my Democrat friend, what like listen, truly listen to their viewpoint to understand. And that just, I just seen people be, feel profoundly loved. And when you do that, when they feel loved, that typically opens up space for a genuine, um, authentic, Jesus centered conversation where somebody can actually hear the truth that you might be wanting to promote. And that's coming from straight from the book of Proverbs. Uh, I think yeah. an ancient writer says it is folly and shame to speak before listening. And I think we get the folly part, right? It, it's silly to jump into a topic and I don't really know what you're saying. By the way, that does not stop me with my wife, by the way. <laughs> I, I was on the debate team in college. And so my poor wife will start to say something and I'll jump in and just give my rebuttal. And she's like, honey, that's oh. not even what I was talking about. Oh my and my God. response is... But if it was, if it was, you know, and, but I thought the shame part is yeah. fascinating. Shame to you to speak before listening. I, I think that's fascinating that they would attach the shame to the person who just doesn't have time for listening. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Preston, let us just affirm you as the uh, Winsome Conviction Project that it's your spirit that really captivates us. There's just a, a desire to listen, a desire to love a desire to be as accepting as possible so we can have future conversations. And we just want to say what a great example to us. So thank you. Thank you you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you for joining us at the Winsome Conviction Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to subscribe to the Winsome Conviction Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Check out winsomeconviction.com and you'll get a bunch of different resources. But we're here to resource the church. We're here to resource Christians, your small groups. That's really what we're all about. So again, thank you for joining us. We don't take it for granted.